Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the back row from what I watch tonight. My name is still Matt Hudson, and this is Retrospectives. It's my show to discuss a favourite movie with someone who shares that same opinion. And joining me in the back row tonight is pure and utter royalty. It's a Commonwealth friend of mine, and put simply, it's the Queen of Canada once again. It's Laura. How the hell are you? Hey, Matt. I am so good. So good. Thank you for that great introduction. I love being called a queen. That is what you are. What do you think of the Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> oh, no, we'll, we'll take that off. Another time. Yeah. We haven't spent 45 minutes talking about that. Um, how's things in Canada? How's, how's life? Life is uh, pretty all right. Things are getting back to normal, sort of. Um, but I continue to stay home for the most part. And... Uh, yeah, not get sick. So I hope everyone else is doing well out in the world. That's a double win this. right there as well. But then, uh, then the images you post where you have been out, it's the beauty of like the Canadian vistas and landscape just makes me violently jealous. Um, for those who haven't heard any of the shows that myself and Laura have done, if you haven't, go check them out. They'll be in the feed. We talk about soundtracks. We talk. We just talk film in one of them as well. Um, I first uh, became aware of, Ma- of Her Majesty um, on, on Twitter. <laughs> During on Star Wars Twitter, uh, Laura was active in the fandom, um, and that's where I met her. So, how are you now with the Star Wars fandom, and what are you thinking about that particular franchise? Before we move on, well, you know, uh, no hate, all love, but uh, I took a little step away from the Star Wars fandom and deactivated my my Star Wars static stan account as we call it uh a little while ago and i haven't brought it back so i'm just kind of cruising on my low follower uh personal twitter which right now and um i still kind of interact with star wars a little bit i have lots of friends that i still talk to uh about star wars but Mm -hmm. i'm just not as involved as i used to be she did it she made the sacrifice in terms of that (laughs) Made it as a deep cut uh, in terms of that. But no, it will, as it, as it would so turn out, we are talking about a film set in the stars tonight. And it's a film which Laura Wren chooses as one of her highlights of her life, possibly. <laughs> We're talking about Apollo 13 tonight. So before I get into what Laura thinks about it, let's do what uh, we do on retrospectives and do the admin. So who's it directed by? A little man called Ron Howard. You have heard of him probably. It stars Tom Hanks as Jim Lovell, Kevin Bacon as Jack Swigert, Bill Paxton as Fred Hayes, Ed Harris as Gene Krentz, Gary Sinise as Ken Mattingly, and Kathleen Quinlan as Marilyn Lovell. It was released on June the 30th, 1995. Uh, it was made for $52 million, and it went on to make $355.2 million worldwide. In terms of uh, Oscars, it was nominated for nine of them. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris. Best Supporting Actress for Kathleen Quinlan. Best Original Score, Best Art Direction, Best Visual Effects, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And it went on to win the Oscar for Best Film Editing and Best Sound. And what's it about? It's about uh, the astronauts Jim Lovell, Jack Swigert, and Fred Hayes aboard Apollo 13 for America's third moon landing mission. En route, an onboard explosion deprives their spacecraft of most of its oxygen supply and electric power forcing NASA's flight controllers to abort the moon landing and turn the mission into a struggle to get the three men home safely. So that's what that's Apollo 13 in a nutshell. Before we talk about it, if you haven't seen Apollo 13, 
this is your spoiler warning. It's two hours, 20 minutes long. Go check it out. Then come back and listen to myself and Laura shoot the spatial breeze about it. So one last time. Spoilers. So now enough for me. Uh, Laura, Apollo 13 then. Why? Why oh why? Is this film one of your uh, top films? Uh, why? You know, I asked myself that the other night when I was watching it. And I actually kind of froze for a minute because I couldn't think of a, a real like reason. Like, this is why I like this movie. I couldn't remember when I first saw it why I was so attracted to it, but this is what I have deduced. Um, I am a space buff. I'm fascinated by the idea of space travel and exploration. And when I saw this movie, uh, for 1995, I have to say, I thought the effects were quite well done. Mm -hmm. And I am a sucker for the uh, American feel-good story uh I, I just like as a canadian yeah as a canadian and you know since you know i live in a country that borders the united states and i visited quite a bit um there's there's this sort of connection between the two of us we're very similar in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and we're very different in a lot of ways as well but um i really just admire and find it inspiring how people will come together to do whatever they can for you know their fellow you, you can say citizens i just say fellow human beings mm -hmm. um, and i just think it's a really nice story it's uh yeah it was just inspiring to me and every time i watch it i'm like oh that feels good at the end of the movie i'm always like it's such a nice like you know story what people will hold on to they'll pray for they'll uh, support others. Um, what happened in this movie with the accident? They, people from around the world, were rooting and praying for these three men to return home safely, and that that to me is is really exceptional. So, I think, yeah, I'm just a sucker for that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> so you like a happy ending? If I, I think it's fact, also it's a true story, but obviously, but it's still so riveting, even though. If you don't know what happens in Apollo 13, for the first time you see the film, it's genuinely exciting. If you do know what happens, it's still genuinely bloody exciting and riveting as to what happens. And um, I get that, though. I get that. You know, sometimes we all need a good, a good happy ending or a story which kind of, you know, reiterates that humans aren't bad. Certainly not all of them. There, there is good out there still. And Apollo 13 is a bloody good example of that. Now you mentioned then, like the what you were thinking like the first time you saw it. Do you remember when you first saw this film? How long ago it was? Or I saw it, so my mom was pretty open to taking me to see movies if I wanted to see it. She she would take it, or she'd go see the movie first just to make sure that I wouldn't be like scared or something like that, mm -hmm. and then she would take me to see it. So she did that with Jurassic Park. She went to see it first. So she said, ah, she can handle this. So then she let me go see the movie. Because when Jurassic Park came out, I was only, I was younger than I was. So I was six, uh, seven mm -hmm. or something like that. I was 10 when this, when Apollo 13 came out in the theater. And I, I mean, I don't remember being 10 or like how I was or how I reacted to this movie. I just remember loving the movie. I, I really tried to think back as to like what it was and like, I don't know. I've owned this movie for so long, and I've just always loved it. So I'm assuming it was 
the, the whole like space aspect. My fascination with rockets and like the engineering of how um, rockets are built and the idea that we put people, and I say we loosely, like I just mean like human beings, mm-hmm. put people into space in these like basically like tin cans. Yeah. <laughs> we sent them to the moon and then they walked on the moon. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of controversy that surrounds that um, whole thing. Some people don't believe that and they think it's a hoax and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm not one of those people, but we're all entitled to our opinions. But I I thought it was just, I've always just been sort of fascinated by that. And so for this to happen, um, when the odds really seem to be packed against them uh, to get home, like you just, it's it's really incredible. The... um, the perseverance and the teamwork that they had to do for them to get figure out a way for them to get home safely. Um, yeah. And I, I've always wanted to go visit, um, I've always wanted to go visit like Cape Mm. Canaveral and, um, the Houston, uh, mission control to like, you know, see what it looks like. So I'm pretty sure they still have it all up still. Mm -hmm like the old mission control, like the room or whatever, they have it there for like tours and stuff like that. And yeah, it just, it's fascinating to me that, you know, all that, all these like uh, the computers and stuff, the advancements in technology because the American government threw money at the space program back then because they were trying to beat the Russians to space. Um, So they were just throwing money at it. And these incredibly talented and smart people, not and not just Americans, like people from all around the world. There was a lot of um, English folks too who worked for mm-hmm. NASA at that time and developed these programs. And if you ever seen the movie Hidden Figures, yes. you'll know that there's some people too that you don't see or hear about that were working behind the scenes. That uh, uh, some black Americans uh, and black females who uh, develop these incredible advanced computer systems and um, it takes engineers and mathematicians and scientists to like, to like come up with these, these incredible feats, technical, technological feats. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just amazing to me. So uh, for them in 1969, well, even before that, to put people in space, a to land people on the moon B, but then to, to get them back home after part of their spacecraft has blown off by like, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a really great story. And I, you know, it has a happy ending. If thank God for that, or else this could have been a different story. Um, It's Roger Ebert. Yeah. um, One of the greatest film critics of all time, Roger Ebert. He said, um, Apollo 13 inspires many reflections. And one of them is that America's space program was achieved with equipment that would look like a tin can today which is pretty much what you said, you know, like yeah. a bit of aluminium foil was keeping them from the vacuum of space and, and um, obviously atmospheric changes and the fire of the re-entry. It's incredible. It's incredible yeah. what humans can do when they come together and work towards something as like monumental as going, going to another planet. It's, it's incredible. I think I was, I was, well, I mean, we are of the same age. Uh, I believe I was sort of the cinema as well, because it's, there's a certain film, like, like films like this, which came out when they're just like, Almost event films, where you're like, because it, it's historical, it's like, I need to see that. And I think I went to go and see it yeah. with my mum and dad. And 
I just remember, I don't think I was aware of the actual true story at the time. It was a true story, but I wasn't aware of what happened. So I was watching it as like a 10 year old boy, like clenching every muscle possible. Like, <gasps> What's going on here? And then yeah, by the end of it, it's like that massive sigh of relief at the end when, you know, everything's going to be all right. You know, they come, everybody comes together. It's not just one person. It's everybody comes together. Even the doubters, they all work together to get them home. So, well, let's talk about, let's talk about the film itself then. So let's just dive in then with some of your favorite moments. What are some of the things that stand out that you love about this film? Um, so first I wanted to, because you mentioned how it was a true story. So I, from what I recall, it does it actually say at the beginning of the movie, if it's based on true events or not? I don't not? think it does. No, I don't think it does. Cause um, Ron Howard had jokes. So I was reading some stuff up yesterday um, before I get into what I love about it, but uh, that when they're first screening the movie, he got one uh, like review back about how had this disdain for for this because um, this viewer because he didn't think that could ever happen. <laughs> they would never make it home alive. <laughs> He's like clearly he didn't realize that this was in fact a true story. Even so, it was a true story. It is a true story, guys. It did happen. They got back alive Jim so um one of the things that really stood out for me and i and i realized that i have this weird affinity for movies that are based in like uh you know in the early 1900s between like early and mid-century uh america and i think i don't know what it is i i just i can't really like pinpoint what it is but i really loved uh the set design of this movie mm. i know that this was something that was really important to Ron Howard to make sure the, that the accuracy of the film was portrayed well on screen that, and that the, you know, the astronauts were that were going to be watching this film were uh, happy with, you know, what they saw, and what they heard, but just, you know, the basic set design, like how at the beginning of the movie, they have like a party yeah. at the house and the costumes, how the house was set up, the car that, uh, Jim Lovell drove, which is like a red Corvette. So the real Jim Lovell drove a silver Corvette. And I actually was watching a, an Apollo documentary and they, they showed him there was like someone was filming somewhere and they showed him showing up in his car and I'm like, hey, that's like the exact car. Just like little, these little um, things that kind of offer to the authenticity mm -hmm. of the movie. I really appreciate that kind of stuff. Um the cinematography uh, was, I think, for the time, really well done. Uh, the special effects, um, you know, and I, I just really think it was cast mm. really well. And when we go on, I could talk about, like, scenes that I liked, but these are just the few things that I just, I really appreciated about the movie. I really felt, I always feel, like, kind of entrenched, like I'm living in this time and I'm watching all this happen right now it just it felt like it was being truly being filmed in 1969 you know um so I, I just really think they did such a good job you know they're they're all the the people in the mission control they're all like smoking and <laughs> stuff like that and you just think how gross it must be in there with all like the cigarettes and stuff and I'm like but that's like yeah. how it was right like that's that's how it is and um yeah I really this is probably one of my favorite Ed Harris mm. films. 
with him. I, I just, I really loved his performance in this one. Uh, you know, obviously that speaks a lot about the real people and uh, what kind of people they must have been. I've seen interviews with all of the the real people, but, and uh, Gene Krantz, who is played by Ed Harris, um, it, it, I could see why they cast Ed Harris as him. And he's very, you know, what's intense. the word? I would say, um, yeah, he's like a little intense. He seems, he seems smart and he's serious, but he's not like too serious that he can't like mm -hmm. joke around, you know, but you could tell he's the guy that gets yeah. the job done. And, uh, it, I think just Ed Harris did such a good job. I, I love the whole, the whole vest thing for every mission. His wife <laughs> makes him a new vest and, you know, everyone just like waiting to see like what it looks like and. I, re I really loved that, that they added that kind of stuff in there. The mission couldn't start until everyone had seen what Mrs. Krantz had made for him. It was a quite a smart little white waistband. Yeah. I quite enjoyed that. Um, I think production design and costume design and set design is an underrated aspect of filmmaking, I think. Because like you just said, if you don't believe this film is set in 6970, then you've lost before you've even started. And they really did nail that aesthetic. Even though you're seeing Tom Hanks, Gary Sinise, Bacon himself, even though you're seeing faces that you're, you're familiar with, you still need to believe that these people are the characters they're playing in this environment they're set. And you do. I do. And they had a, a, good, yeah. a guy called Dave Scott as an astronaut. He was on set as the chief technological consultant. So they had actual NASA astronauts on set to make sure that what was being said and how like, even manoeuvres and movements and instructions were being given and portrayed were as accurate as possible. Uh, and Ed Harris and the mission control dudes they all went on flight controller classes again, so they could pick up the lingo, so they could pick, so they had an understanding of what it was they were telling the, you know, the the, the cast in space. So they had that authenticity. So they really went all in, Ron Howard and all of the cast and the team there. So I think that's a great point to kick us off with that, you know, without being yeah. able to buy into the fact that they, they it was set when it was, then the film fails. And also, yeah, the space scenes on the when they're on the Apollo or the lunar modules, I believe that they're in space. You know what I mean? I don't believe that they're on a soundstage or they're on a on a KC-135 hurtling through the sky so they can get the weightlessness. I yeah. believe they're in space. And I think as a start of a 10, that's a fantastic way to kick us off. Yeah. And before we move on, I think we'd be remiss not to mention that this movie is also based off the book by astronaut Jim mm. Lovell called Lost the Perilous Voyage of Apollo 13. So it's in the writing credits that this movie is based off of this book. Yeah, that's a good show. Um, I, I am ashamed to say that I have not read his book. I've never read this book, but it's now, it's always like, I'm like, oh, I have to read this book. I have to read this book. And I just, I have never gotten around to it. But um, yeah, so I just wanted to mention that. So people know that, you know, I'm just some of the scenes and things that he talks discusses in his book are shown in the movie. Yeah, it's a good shout. And obviously, Jim Lovell is the focal point of the uh, film. And uh, you mentioned the cinematography. Dean Cundy is the cinematography for this for this film, and he he's been on. He did Alien, a lot of Halloween. Uh, sorry, not Alien, Halloween. Sorry, a lot of the Halloween films. Um, he did Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Jurassic Park. As a he was in actually in the film, but he did things like Hook. Um, the parent trap he also did stuff like flubber as well so you know and halloween three you know 
take the take the shite with the good there. But the Dean Cundy, very good cinematographer, so shout out to him. But all right then, um, old Ren, what are we thinking then? So scenes or moments? What what was floating your spaceship? I know a lot of people don't. I know a lot of people who don't really like the stuff leading up to the action part, but I do enjoy kind of seeing all that stuff that happens before the climax because I feel like I, I learn a lot. Um, so just from the start of the movie, like I like, look, well, okay, I'll say I like all of the movie, but I really do like all the stuff beforehand. So um, when the at the beginning of the film, when they're all meeting at the Lovell's house for the moon landing, yeah, and, you know, they all get together and to experience that together and what that must have been like for people in 19... Uh, 1969. Sorry, what was it? 1969. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, sorry, I got the dates mixed up. 1970 was Apollo 13. 1969, we landed on the moon. Everybody okay, gets so, one. Yeah, what that was like for people then and how like proud and, and not just for Americans, but for the world to mm-hmm. like see humans on the moon. And I really like how, he, how they did that scene. Um, and they used the real footage from Walter Cronkite uh, talking about about that, I, I loved. I really loved some of the authentic stuff that Ron Howard threw in that movie because he he didn't have to use like made up footage. You know, he he was able to um, he was able to use real footage from that time and put it in to give it that authenticity. So yeah, I really like that. Um, I don't know about there's so much. That's uh, I really love all the mission control stuff. I like I said earlier, I've I've been forever wanting to visit Mission Control to see um, how it looks. I heard that in real life, it's the room is actually much smaller mm-hmm. than what it is in the film. But they had to make so they built almost an exact replica of what it looked like in 1970, and um, but they had to build it bigger so they can film in there. One thing that you don't see that I, I'm just going to mention before I forget that is in that mission control room, there's a room beside it and there's like a big glass wall. So you can actually see all these other people in there. And those are actually the people who are like the problem solvers. Nice. All the like, you know, work and figure all the hard stuff out. Um, And there's one shot in the film. There might've been more, but I, I noticed one shot. You can kind of see the window. They have like a little bit of a, you can see it, but they don't actually show it or talk about it in the film but that's actually like where most of the stuff happened um the the scene where the rocket takes off oh yeah love that so well done just just really cool like so well done for 1995 to where i was like literally felt like i was watching a rocket take <laughs> off thought that was really cool i'm i kind of on the last little bit I'm not obsessed, but like I really am interested in the design and uh, mechanics of the of the engines of these of these rockets, and uh, so that was that was really cool. And the design of the Saturn V rocket, you know, just it's just incredible. Um, so the takeoff, the scene when they get into space, and they show you how you know the spacecraft comes apart and everything that happens when they start when they get into space, they did really well with that. 
Um, and then, yeah, the scenes in the spacecraft, you know, I felt like I'm in space with these guys. Mm-hmm. It, it was just so well done. Like, yes, they had, you know, the zero gravity, but some, most of the time they were just, it was actually just this like seesaw thing that they were on. Right. And uh, they just portrayed it so well. It just says a lot to their acting. And uh, yeah, so I really, you know, I felt like even though they don't talk a lot about the stuff, you kind of learn a little bit about what spacecraft looks like, what it can do. Um, Someone told me that the computer on board those spacecrafts at the time was as fast as a Nintendo Game Boy (laughs) of like the 90s or whenever Nintendo Game Boy came out. So that's how advanced they were during that time. Mm -hmm. Two decades before we even had Game Boys, they already had computers that were like that fast. Um, I'm sure yeah, they weren't playing was... Tetris up there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'd be fun if they were. Um, and I did, I did really enjoy the scenes. Anything, basically anything with Ed Harris in it, I was like down for. Um, the stuff that they had on the side where they were talking about how they were going to bring them home, um, those meetings in the rooms and stuff. I, I really liked the, the dialogue there and. Um. Yeah, those those are things off the top of my head that I really enjoyed, and I was just thinking how much I miss Bill Paxton. Yeah, such a good, such a good actor, such a good guy. Yeah, because people remember him for the uh, "It's game over, man" line in Aliens, but you forget he actually's a massive part of Apollo thirteen. And yeah, the car you mentioned the cast: Bacon, Hanks, and Paxton, and Gary Sinise as well, uh, and, and all of them. Um, uh, Ed Ed Harris. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan, again, best supporting actress for playing Jim Lovell's suffering wife in this film. Everybody yeah, comes she together. Did yeah, she, she did she a was great job. Most of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. She was you know, had to do a lot of scenes uh, by herself. And I can imagine as an actor, that's really hard because she's kind of crying or she's like upset for most of the movie. And so, uh, yeah, it's just really well done. I think it's the only Oscar nomination she's ever received. Uh, was for that movie. Yeah, and, well, and then the kids, kids are actually like his little uh, the guy who plays Jim Lovell's little son. I think Miko or Miko. I can't remember his last name, but he was so cute. Um, and his daughter. When he's asking about the mission at the beginning, and um, yeah. and Space Dad Tom Hanks is telling him, you know, this is what I could go. This is what went wrong on that ship, but we're not going to do it on our ship. It's like Tom Hanks could be everyone's father. Yeah. Yeah. And then his daughter, his like oldest daughter, freaking out because the Beatles broke up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a great scene. Like um, when Jim finds out that his his crew have been moved up to Apollo thirteen uh, because the current crew have had to move aside. Jim comes in and he's like, you know, we're going to have to change our holiday destination to the moon. And <laughs> it's at the same time when they I think it's Halloween at the time or or something like that. They're going to some sort of Halloween party. And Jim's daughter is wearing this outfit, and um, and Marilyn said to her, "You're not wearing that." And Jim sees it, and he's like, "Yep, yeah, you can wear that." And he gets to look <laughs> from his wife, and he's like, "No, you're not going out on that." I was like, "Man knows his place. He might be going on the moon, but he knows who wears the trousers in that relationship." Um, about your first point, the the um, the house party, I've got that down as well because I really like that. Just a nice scene because we actually start with the Apollo One Inferno, which is eighteen months before. The yeah. scenes in the um, the moonwalk, which was, you know, quite a big thing to start with, just like death, 
basically just like tragic right. inferno death. But then we've got the house party scene because obviously then you have that complete juxtaposition between that first scene and this. And it is a set design, a costume design. It's Kevin Bacon um, flirting awfully with Tracy, his well, one of his girlfriends in the film, about how to dock and all that kind of stuff. And everyone yeah. getting around to watch it. And then Jim and Marilyn afterwards when they're outside looking at the moon and um, Jim Lovell's putting his thumb up to the moon and like, closing one eye so he can't see it. I think that's a great way to set the scene. In terms of the lift-off, like the actual lift-off, again, yeah, like you say, 995, I think they did that really well from Cape Kennedy. From the moment they're going up in the elevator, and of course you have to get the the congratulatory USA letters very slowly going past them, just so you know who's shooting this, which country's doing that. But they, they do a great job of showing the scale of the rocket. The score from James Horner is excellent throughout, but in this moment it's great. Um, the Obviously the countdown... Know, T minus, blah, blah. And then Ken, I know I'm going to mention what happens to Ken Mattingly shortly, but Ken turns up to watch and he's supporting it. And it's... It's an awesome car. Yeah, from that... Look, the cars are so good in, in this in this time. Yeah. And the... I learned that apparently um, during those times, astronauts got like two free cars a year. Yes. From dealerships or something like that which i just read yesterday and i was like wow no wonder <laughs> i fancy being an astronaut just so i don't have to pay for my car i mean yeah obviously space is perilous but two free cars sweet yeah. um the, but a bit where they like you say when they get into the into space and they detach and um engine five starts flashing and jim lovell's just like huh looks like we've just had our glitch for the mission i'm thinking you right. dick jim don't say that because now we know what's coming obviously but yeah you know, and the bit before that when marilyn marilyn's in the shower and her ring falls down i found out that that actually happened not quite it as it played out but that scene was real because a lot of people were were like come on that's that's a bit saturating a bit melodramatic but apparently marilyn's um wedding ring did fall down uh in the shower but but the the plug managed to catch it and she retrieved it whereas in this film obviously it goes down the pipe and it's meant to, and obviously there's the whole uh bad luck symbolism behind all of that but i quite i, I enjoyed that and obviously everything else you mentioned as well i've got points on but for those sort of kind of major moments like the start of the film and then when they actually get into space very well done yeah um so so you mentioned that a little bit of trivia there about the ring so yeah it did she did lose it and then she said it was later she found it but uh, I also want to mention that that line that uh, he says about going to Acapulco or whatever, yeah. so he did, did say that to her, but um, for a different mission, for the Apollo 8 mission that he was on. Gotcha. So he said, you know, maybe we could go to the moon instead or something like that. So it, that was an authentic line. It was just used for in a different part just to, yeah. So there's, a, there's actually a lot of that, and I kind of wrote down some some stuff that because uh, I, I know people obviously when we watch movies that are based on true stories we wonder how much of it is authentic and how much of it is dramatized so um, I'm hoping we could talk a little bit about that mm. uh, I think for the most part of course there's going to be adage into this movie to, to make it more dramatic and it is a movie, <laughs> um, but I think Ron Howard did a really good job of trying to be as accurate as he could, even if he took some of the things that did happen and then just like changed it a little bit, yeah, just for that sort of dramatic feel. But um, yeah, so we could talk about a little bit of trivia. Yeah, man, they would for all 
as well. Like, you know, I can't say there's anything and I and I'm gonna be that person. There's nothing about this movie that I that I don't like. I I felt like I learned a lot. Um it piqued my interest, it got me inspired. Um yeah, there wasn't anything in this movie that I was like, uh, nah, no. You know, um not even the ring thing bothered me because I don't know, even though I know didn't know at the time that it actually had happened, it, she had had a dream oh, too. We, we see that sort of play out. That was kind of crazy. I you know, I remember I do remember watching that thinking, Oh my god, is this happening? What's going on? Yeah, I, was, like, I hate the space scares the shit out of me anyway. And then to see that, I was like, stuff that. You know, you know, I was thinking yeah. about going to space next week, but now, no thanks. It's just there's a malfunction, isn't it? And then uh, Jim Lovell's holding on to the door as he's getting sucked sucked into space, and then something up hits him, and he you just see him floating off into space. And I got I got nauseous again watching that because it's the idea of being knocked into infinity. Do you know what I mean? Once you're out there, you ain't you, that's it. You, you're gone forever, and you're, it's just you right. in that suit forever. And it's just oh god, this space is equally stunning. It's beautiful, but it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Well, I- vast emptiness is what it is and yeah. it's dark and you there's no like um it's not like what you see in in these fantasy sci-fi movies where people can get like picked up or whatever like if you're, like if you're floating in space like you can get oh, picked Captain up Marvel. obviously but like it's not as easy as some of the movies make it seem like right yeah. so it's you terrifying. can't just lock onto someone in space so it's not like going to you know, downtown Calgary or somewhere, or Vancouver. I'm just going to stand in the city and hopefully I see someone. This is like, yeah, yeah. The, this is space. This is there is you can't just bounce off the edge and come back again. Once you're out, yeah, there, exactly. You're out there, but like hard, and you bounce off into space. You're 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 going to keep going. It just doesn't really, you know. Oh. There's no controlling that. I can feel my hands um, getting sweaty just, thinking about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, oh. that. Uh, so Marilyn Lovell, uh, Jim Lovell's wife. Uh, said she had a she had the dream because she had uh, Jim had taken her to see the movie Maroon, mm-hmm. uh, 1969. That came out November 1969, and it was about um, some astronauts or something that were stranded in space. Yep. So, you know, not really the best movie to take. Really you know, movie your when you're going into space. Know at that time. Oh no, wait, maybe he did know. I think it was around the time he did know that he had gotten that assignment. But uh, yeah, not the best movie to to watch. So that it gave her a nightmare. You're not going to a theme park and watching something like Final Destination or something like that, or going on a plane and watching that. So I guess watch this the night right. before. No, I don't fancy going on holiday. <laughs> yeah, Marooned is a decent film actually. It's a uh, Gene Hackman and Gregory Peck. Um, it's not the best thing film to watch before going on a space mission. So uh, Mr. Lovell's got a few things to work on there with his courting skills. <laughs> yeah. but, but then again, he's already married. He probably thought I can get away with this. But um, but in between. The party and going into space. I mentioned Ken Mattingly, played very, very, very well by Gary Sinise. So I still think he's an underappreciated mm-hmm. actor. I think Gary Sinise is excellent whenever he appears. And it's the I like the yeah. moment when you find out that he's been exposed. He's been exposed to German measles and he can't go to space. And yeah. obviously Jim Lovell's then got to tell him that he's not coming. And in the meantime, Jack Swigert, the, the, the playboy, he's going to take his place two days before the mission. And we find out that Jack's getting it in a like a motel room with another woman, not the one who was with at the beginning of the film. So they, yeah. they show that side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's just like, it's like overexcited, almost like um, 
they, they, they really play him out to kind of be naive, even though they say like he's, he's a very, very good pilot. And in real life, he was actually an ex- excellent he's incredible. pilot. Exactly. Spoke about how like uh, intelligent he actually yeah. is. Like he's very, very smart. Unless you know what, guys. Like you don't become an astronaut for being you. You you have to be like close to like genius level smart. You got to know. You got to be very. There's smart. a reason why so, I'm, on Earth. So, I'm not up there. He's a little bit of a, a player. I think they they try to portray him. They call them like a you know the bachelor or whatever, right? Because you know back in the day, if you're his age and you're not married, you, you know, and you're kind of known to like date around or be a, a ladies man then you know they'll talk about yep, you they mentioned that like that um, when uh fred hayes was feeling ill later on in the film they're like i think i think jack gave me the clap and that and him and jim have a little <laughs> giggle about it. and then i had a giggle about that as well but i like the fact that they they had that moment because the, the, throughout the whole build-up you've got ken mattingly is um training for the mission so he wants to get his rate of turn correct he spends an, he spends like three hours at a time in the simulator with the guys just so they can get every little bit right so they show him meticulously going into it, and then uh, the gym level gets called into like the boss's office, and they're like, "Mate, if you don't kick Matt and me off, you aren't going into space. In fact, none of you are going into space." And it turns out, yeah, that Ken never had measles in the first place; he was just exposed to it. So there's that that bit which gets full circle. So it's kind of very tragic, but in a way, it, it isn't because obviously nobody knew what was going to happen with the Apollo 13 mission. So for Ken Mattingly. He's been taken away from the chance of a lifetime. Because remember, Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Apollo 12 landed on the moon. The odds were that, you know, we, they've, they've nailed it. Apollo 13, we're going to get on the moon and Ken's going to walk on the moon. So it's almost like a once in a lifetime moment taken away from him for nothing because he hasn't got the damn measles, as he says. Turns out that he, for him, it, it you know it could have saved his life even though they all got back. But he still ended up playing a major part in in their return. So I love that kind of almost an like arc because you could tell that he wasn't happy. You know, the, the fact that it had been pulled right. away from him, he wasn't happy about it because he knew he wasn't ill, but he was at the launch, like we said, and he was supporting them. And the, through the whole time, even through his, you know, even through his quite unquite bitterness and the beer cans, he was still with the guys. He's still with them. And at the end, you know, he's like, I never, and, it, and um, Jim Lovell at the end, when he's explaining what happened to all of the astronauts after the mission, and he's like, he even right. says then, you know, Jack Ken Mattingly, he never had the measles, having never had the measles. So um, I just wanted to shout out to Gary Sinise's character and his little arc. He went through the film because obviously he was he was in the film portrayed as instrumental as being in that simulator, um, mm-hmm. replicating the environment that the guys in space had to try and get them home. And I love how they played off the tension of how they had to. Uh, bring the bring the amps down to below twelve so they could get them home and get enough power to boost them. And I, know, I think uh, Gary Sinise did a very good job in this. And I think he's an underrated actor, but yeah, Ken Mattingly and his arc, which then obviously leads into Jack Swiger, but I think he had a great arc. So I a hundred percent agree with you, and I, but I'm just going to throw in some trivia Sweet. here. Uh, I did read uh, some stuff about Ken Mattingly and how he explained his uh, role in the Apollo 13 rescue and what it actually looked like compared to what was portrayed in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, but just to make a note that Gary Sinise had just come off Forrest Gump yeah. and that was like kind of his like breakthrough. Like, and you know, if you've seen that movie, he's awesome in that movie. Yes. <laughs> you just feel for the yes. guy. You're just like, Oh man, this guy. Um, but so he said that he wasn't assigned any, 
specific role to play in the movie, so he, or to play in the the rescue of the, these men. He wasn't a part of any one or two projects. He was um, more or less a part of um, teams of um, getting ideas out there and problem solving on how to bring them home. Um, he said that there was actually a couple of other astronauts that were actually in the simulators doing different things, kind of how you see it in the movie. He didn't say anything about amps, but he did talk about um, going through the procedures, mm -hmm. like one by one, the, how they read them out to them, and then they would go and turn things on, and they would say, okay, like, we need to do this uh, so that Jack can do it, and we need it so that he can do it, and it's easy, like, you know, because there's a lot going on up there right now. Um, so he wasn't, and I'm not sure, because I couldn't find anything as to why they chose Mattingly, and I think it was probably just because he was supposed to be on that mission that they used him instead of like he trained so hard other before, yeah. right? Yeah, um, so for a, a cinematic point of view, it was a really good call because that that whole role and the way Gary Sinise played just worked out really well, even if that's not quite how it went. But he was a part of it, like, he just maybe wasn't a part of it in the way that we see it in the movie and that there was actually other people other astronauts who who played a role in in doing that too that we didn't hear mm -hmm. about so shout out to them i don't know their names and he couldn't quite remember um but but yeah i just want to throw that out there no, you're right and they have to have that cinematic they have to have that drama they even never have to change things up a little bit they never maybe maybe that's why they didn't put based on a true story or because Firstly, people know that, but also they have taken a few liberties, nothing major, nothing major, major but it's little things like that. But it's just for dramatic reconstruction. It's just a, it's a Hollywood filming in the, the day. Yeah. And the whole point is, if you, if you just made a film based on exactly what happened, it may not be quite as quote-unquote exciting. Just like the TV exactly. studios at the time, they didn't even bother showing the broadcast from Apollo 13 in space because they said it wasn't exciting enough. Turns out that when obviously everything right. went when it all hit the fan, they were suddenly showing up on the Lovell's doorstep and Marilyn was telling them where to, where to stick it, which I like that as well. But yeah, they need yeah, that dramatic that. effect as well. It's just a film, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, um, like I said earlier though, a lot of the stuff was authentic and did happen. It was, yeah. just, it was just maybe changed a little bit to make it more dramatic. It's not like they added a lot of stuff in that never happened. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of movies do that. You know, things are based on true stories. Like the story itself is true, but then like all the things sort of leading up or the things during this, a lot of movies sort of just add stuff in that never actually did happen. So there are a few of those things in this movie. Um, but for the most part, I think it was like like 90% legit. Um one of the things that I really like that I noticed when watching uh, some of the Apollo 13 documentaries, and there's quite a few of those out there for anyone who has Amazon, the, I guess, prime video or whatever uh, so the movie mm -hmm. is on prime, but then there's also like two or three or four um, documentaries about, about a, like Apollo 13 and also um, uh, just like the Apollo missions. And there's one national geographic one that I haven't watched yet. Um, I'm kind of like obsessed with the whole Apollo uh, program, but uh, that they have a lot of, obviously they have all of the recording of the original 
like mission transcript, like everything that was said between mission control and the astronauts when they were in space. And Ron Howard did an amazing job in taking a lot of that stuff and just putting it into the movie, like making it the actual lines of the actors. So when I was watching mm-hmm. these documentaries, I was like, oh my God, they actually said that. Oh, he said that. And, oh, he said that too. And <laughs> so I thought that was really cool um, th- that he did that. You know, I'm like, I kind of felt like, I'm like, well, oh, did he really have to write much of a script? <laughs> he basically yeah. took it all from the, <laughs> what they actually said, but um, it makes it more legitimate and more believable that way, I think. And, you know, since I'm on, uh, on script and stuff, uh, I think maybe we should talk about that famous line that is like famously known around the world that people say every once in a while. It, which is um, the line from the movie is Houston, we have a problem. And the actual line that was said by Jim Lovell, both Lovell and Swagger, I think, said the same thing was um, Houston, we've had a problem here. So yeah. that was the original line. Um, and then Ron Howard took that. And I think at the suggestion of Tom Hanks is what I read that. Um, it should be changed to uh, Houston. We have a problem to make it more to a make it sound like it's present tense, which I find kind of weird too. Because I'm like, why were these guys saying these lines like the problem was in the past when it's actually like ongoing right now? It's like happening in real time, you know. It could have been comedic as well, if, and I don't mean that to sound disingenuous. But if we'd seen the shot of the oxygen tank bursting, all the systems failing. Everybody panicking in Houston, the crew talking over each other, trying to work out what's going on. Um, Jim Lovell seeing that this oxygen is being vented into space. And then he goes on the radio and is like, Houston, um, we've had a problem. <laughs> it could have been like, no shit. Yeah, no. So obviously have, changing it like that, I think, again, dramatic purposes. But in terms of how what's actually going on, what we, we can see, I think it's a, it, obviously it's one of the most famous lines in film history yeah. now. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. And they're like the close up, the close a tightly shot um, frame on Tom Hanks' face, Jim Lovell's face. But yeah, it had it, had they said it in a different tense, it would have felt a bit odd. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So so the line has become really famous. And to me, that's not even, that's just like a subtle change. It's not even like, it's yeah. not even like they never said it. Like, because they actually said it, you know, it, it just sounded, it was in different tense. And uh, so I think that's really cool. Like, the actual astronauts, not not movie writers, use the words, and they may have not said it as like dramatic and whatever, but um, yeah, they just took it and, and changed it around a little bit for that dramatic effect. But it has become one of the most famous lines, yeah, yeah. in cinematic history. It's like kind of cool. It's like the Darth Vader line. How many people say, "Luke, I am your father." You know, you have, people change things around to what they remember. Uh, but for that, you know, like you say, they still said it. They just tweaked well. And if you didn't know that Jim Lovell said something slightly different, like a labial fringative different, it's not going to change. I'm not now, now I know that from looking into the film, I don't look at that scene now and think, well, that's bloody awful. Now that's taken all the effect out because he said a different word. Right. Nope. It, it, you know, I mean, it doesn't change a thing for people who don't know about it. And it's just, it's that, the, the word I hate, but it's iconic. It's a legendary scene in film and everything that goes around it as well. Like the scene after when, Houston asks him to close the react valves, but it means no moon landing. And if it doesn't work, we're not going to have enough power left to get home. And Tom Hanks is a great actor. We all know yeah. that. But it's just his how he emotes on his face a lot in this film. 
when there's a scene I want to mention later on, which he does as well, but the realisation that I'm not going to the moon, this is it, because he's already announced in the photo shoot beforehand he's going to retire, which I thought was a great scene. But when he realises he's not getting to the moon, it's kind of like, also because it's Tom Hanks, you're just like, oh man, it hits home even more. But uh, yeah, that's a great, a great moment in the film and a uh, good little bit of knowledge there that it was all changed over. Like the line was tri- switched up, changed, sorry. Yeah. And you can, I'm sure you can find it somewhere where you can actually listen to the original them saying it. And there's are differences between, cause these are astronauts. They're trained not to uh, uh, like overreact or like panic <laughs> yeah. and, and whatever. So what you, the differences that you will see that I noted uh, is you know a difference between a movie and real life is that uh they were quite calm on the radio there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of um panic and uh the, it was just like this is what's happening like let's like we need to figure out what's going on here and uh and in the movie it's more or less like they're frantic and you know things are crazy and 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 we also don't know you know exactly if it was like that like again maybe Jim Lovell talks about it in his book but I don't we don't know if the what happened in the movie as far as like all the lights flickering and the things moving around and stuff if that's exactly what was going on but um mm-hmm. yeah it, it it just it just translates really well on screen and how um, Ron Howard decided to direct that like that whole sequence of right after the explosion and that's 50 minutes into the film as well so we've had 50 minutes of uh, character development of build up of knowledge because like you say we're getting in we're getting fed knowledge about you know space missions and lunar missions but intelligently they're not spelling it out for us like certain films will do you 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 learn as you go along so you have 50 minutes of it of triumph almost you know it's like this is going to happen we're going to the moon i'm going to retire after this and everyone to the fact that where marilyn's like you know i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna come to the launch you know the kids need me she's so used to it and that's kind of what we lulled into they're going to go into space and this is going to be it's going to be simple and then that happens 50 minutes in and after that it all goes to pop but before we mention that we mentioned jack swiger thought i'd just mention him and kevin bacon because you mentioned the other guys uh, as well I like Jack's uh, arc in this because, like we say, when we first meet him, he's talking about penetration to Tracy. Great introduction. Um, <laughs> and then the first test with Jack Swigert two days before is a massive disaster. They'd all die if that was in real life. Then when they're in space and the, he's having to dock with the other ship, they they play it really tense and they've got like a really slow countdown. And the whole time, Fred and Jim are side eyeing him like, is this guy going to be able to do it? despite the fact that Jim knows he's a great pilot, there's always this uncertainty about Jack as a whole. And then later on in the film, after Fred says, I think Jack's given me the clap, <laughs> Jack comes down and he, he and Fred have an argument because Fred's basically saying, this whole thing's your fault. What did you do to the oxygen tank? And he's like, I did what I, you know, I, did what I was damn well told. I, I, um, I re-stirred the oxygen and this happened. And I, I almost come to blows. And then by the end, you know, they have that, there are specs that they all got through it. And there's a lovely scene where uh, Fred basically says, you know, great, you know, nice job, Jack. When they're trying to make their calculations home and they get the handshake at the end from Jim Lovell. So I think Jack gets an interesting arc in this film as well for from going as kind of like the wild child playboy bad boy 
to being a respected member of the team. So I just wanted to shout out to Kevin Bacon and Jack as well. Yeah, yeah. And Kevin Bacon's great. I've always just liked, you know, I, I never loved or disliked him. I've always just thought he was just really, he's good. And anything he's in, I'm kind of just down for. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy he was given this role in this movie. I think he did so well. And you're right, that scene when we first meet him in the movie, he's talking to the girl. He has the, he has a glass and a beer bottle. And he's talking about, you know, how to dock a, the lunar module with the thing and it, but really it's just like it's like he's talking about penetrate it's just hilarious <laughs> i didn't know 10 year old me understood what he's on about completely at the time yeah. probably did i'm not sure and then jim lovell introduces himself to like this girl that that jack's with and he's like he's like hi that's it <laughs> jack, and fred's jack's so proud isn't he for that like one evening and then he's moved on to somebody yeah. else days later <laughs> Um, so not to like put a damper on things that you love about the, the the sort of relationship that he plays with, um, Bill Paxton's character, but, uh, I read, so Jim Lovell said that, um, there, there's no, um, arguing in space. It just, it like, there's no heated exchanges or anything like that Mm -hmm. he's like it would never happen it just doesn't you can't like and this is sort of speaks like this to me like when i found out that when i heard the the actual mission like transfer like the voice communication between the astronauts and mission control and then learning that like you know they don't fight stuff i'm like they're really highly trained to behave a certain way and so a lot of like the dramatic stuff that you see between the astronauts in the movie is is just movie stuff. I mean, some of the conversations yeah. might have happened, but it, it it didn't go as heated as as is portrayed to us in the film. But it adds for effect yeah. and it, it it spins off really well. Um, and maybe in, in another environment, that that's actually what would have happened between them like, <laughs> on Earth, and something was was happening when they were training maybe that's how it would have gone down but as far as like being in space it's it's the whole like uh losing of patience or yelling or anything there's there's none of that going on so um so yeah i I did i do also really like that they gave that the arc though to gave that arc to him and it kind of makes me wonder about him as as a guy in real life like at the end of the movie we hear that he became uh he was voted into congress in colorado mm-hmm. but then he died from uh i think it was a brain tumor or something before he cancer i think something cancer yeah uh which is pretty sad but you know so he goes from bachelor swagger guy to um you know a serious astronaut that you know has been through something really crazy um comes out the other end of that to uh, congressman <laughs> before he passes away so it's not uh, a bad life is it great. i mean in terms of a story to tell it's certainly not about none of them went back into i mean mattingly did but he wasn't part of the crew ken mattingly was the only one who went back into space so um yeah I, i'd heard that the confrontations didn't happen you've got to be a special type of character i think to stay calm in a situation where you're in space and your ship's falling apart around you and just i don't know you have to have that utter zen like discipline like a jedi like patience discipline about you to not just stop beating the hell out of everyone up there because 
not sure how I not sure how I do. Um, but there's yeah. a, there's a, one of the scenes I wanted to um, mention was um, after everything's happened now. So we've had the we've had the blowout. We've had the realization they're not going to the moon. And we've had the the power was shut off, and the astronauts are kind of silently trying to deal with the fact that this may not end very well at all. But it's when they actually have to slingshot around the moon, and this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scene of Jim Lovell. He's looking out the window. Uh, you see Armstrong's tracks and and Mount Marilyn, as he's called it, like the mountain he's dedicated to his wife. Yeah. And then, then they pass into the shadow, and it's Jim Lovell dreaming of his own moon landing. I love that scene, like the him, like just fantasizing about what could have been and and at the end when fred and jack are looking out the window just in awe and jim's just like do you know what guys if you if you're quite if you're done i i just want to go home now i've just want to get this done with i love that scene so obviously the slingshot in the what could have been the the dream and then the end when it just hits him and he's like i just want to get out of here now i think that was a great great scene yeah and and that actually happened Mm-hmm. So yep. I read that uh, you know he was he was asking them what their intentions were because you know he had already That's seen cool. it and uh, he was pretty desperate to get home and and he's like so while he was like thinking of preparing the computers and trying to wanting to get things done they were you know um, they were looking out the windows and taking pictures and stuff and so he he said something along the lines of you know what what is said in the movie but yeah mm-hmm. that scene of him daydreaming about being on the moon is really beautiful the music is really nice mm. james horner did a, a really nice job uh he used the horn was pretty um prominent in this film and yep he the horn represents like victory but also sadness and like military kind of things so that's used a lot in military and so so i, I we can talk about the music later but i, I really liked uh, that scene and yeah absolutely like gentlemen what are your intentions it's just I love that it's, it's Hank isn't it it's, again it's just the gravity that no pun intended the gravity and gravitas that Tom Hanks brings to, the, to that character was just excellent and later on there's a shot of Jim Lovell looking at the earth and it's juxtaposed with Marilyn looking up to the sky Beautiful. brilliant Great, great moment. Little things like that where you may not remember it even by, uh, going back to watch the film, but when I watched it the other night for this show, I was like, that's a great shot. You know, people can say it's cheesy or corny, but that's a great shot. And it comes after that incredibly like arse clinchingly tense scene where they have to course correct for entry, where they're having to, they've got to keep the earth in that triangular, in the, in the window. And you've got Fred Hayes, who's like, you know, on his, on his last legs, about to die, pass out. He's having to control one stick. You got um, uh, Jim Lovell on the other one, trying to keep the Earth in the in the um, window. I thought that was fantastic because obviously the, the, the stakes are: if they course correct too much, they're going to incinerate upon re-entry. If they don't course correct enough, they're going to bounce, which just sounds terrifying. They're going to bounce off the atmosphere and into space, which just sounds terrifying. And <laughs> It's great enough you've got Fred's bouncing around everywhere and they shut down just in time. I don't know how accurate it was, but in the film, that is such a tense moment when they have to get it right and they just about do it. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, Jim Lovell, 
the real gym level actually said that they had done a couple more burns mm-hmm. that they didn't show in the movie. So if you think that part was intense, imagine like having to do like two or three more of them. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that like we didn't see is is wild, right? Um, but there's a lot of preciseness, and and so like when you're really thinking about it, like you think just like. We just think that watching that one thing is like super intense and they just have to get through that. But like everything they do in space is, is, uh, is, oh my gosh, how do we say? Is like, uh, death almost done through, done via, through like mathematics and science. Mm -hmm. And you have to be very precise and, and correct every time. Otherwise, all, and like bad thing can happen. Right. So, every moment is you you were relying as those astronauts are relying on other people. So what we did end up seeing was um, they were waiting for a plan, right? So it was as they were having meetings down in Houston about how to like get these guys home. It was taking a really long time. And I don't, I'm not sure if this even happened, but um, what we see in the film is that they're, they're trying to get up this plan to get them home, but then they didn't get this plan up to them until like, you know, they were waiting and waiting and waiting for it in the movie. And then there was this thing between Jack and Fred who, you know, they're like, well, they don't have, they don't have a plan and all this stuff. And then we find out that Ken is in the simulator helping, you know, trying to find ways to get them. Trying to save for what's on Like, are they, do they not have a plan? Like, are they just going to let us die out here? Like what's going on kind of thing. So um, there was that too. That was, Kind of just that mm-hmm. waiting that you know you must feel like not having that complete control because you are relying on other people to do the job for oh, you basically right yeah and it's getting a bit tense it's getting a bit fraught isn't it even when Jim Love was like look we need we need this now you know what I mean and yeah because you've got Matt Ken Matt and Lee's trying to do the re-entry procedure and they work out obviously transfer power from the main console to the limb to save those watts it's uh, I get you, you see that you see the the astronauts go through every range of emotion from jubilation to start with to trepidation when Jack's trying to dock. Obviously, then they start yeah. then the panic, then then the infighting, and by then they're just tired and they just want to go home. And and you've got like you say, you've got the guys on the ground trying to work out how to fit a, a square uh, box into a round hole, which is a good use of that um, phrase. Finally, and yeah, and you get um, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin are hanging out with Blanche. <laughs> Uh, Jim Lovell's yeah. mother, which is cool. And she's like, are you in the space program too? I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> could you imagine? Yeah, could you imagine? And the way they look at you, they're like, oh. And I love Blanche. Like when 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 um Marilyn goes to see her with the kids and she's like, she talked to the daughter. She's like, are you upset? Are you frightened? And she's like, yep. She goes, if they could make a washing machine fly, my gym could fly. And I was like, you're damn right, Blanche. You can land it. That's it. Yep. You can land it. It's like, just... You tell them, Blanche. But yeah, that whole re-entry thing is great. And even before that, when they've got to stop the CO2 leak, otherwise they'll all die of obviously uh, carbon dioxide poisoning. Yeah. And they make that like filter out of all the spare parts of like socks and bags and that. Great, great scene. And it, it go like even like Roger Ebert said, like just the stuff they use to get them home. Socks. They use some of these socks yeah. to get them home. And it's just like the ingenuity to be able to do that is is off the scale. And it is a testament to everybody. Like Jim says at the end, I'm going to save his end speech for later, but he even says, you know, it took thousands of people 
just to get us three home. And I think about that sometimes. And yeah. it's, it's, it's great uh, how they went into detail and made those scenes re- again, tense. It's the whole film. One of the things I love about the film is the tension and the atmosphere they right. build about this, how everything is a ticking time bomb. And as you said, when you're in space, it comes down to mathematics and science, but it also comes down to, yeah, if one little thing goes wrong, which is what happened when um, it was, what is it? One of the little a damaged coil inside the oxygen tank sparked. It happened once two years ago, minor thing in a practice. Turns out that one minor thing could potentially see you die in space. Space, right. that craft could be your tomb if yeah. it goes wrong. And how they bandied together on in Houston and Florida and in the lunar module, the way that they did it in this film was great, I think. And a lot of my favourite moments are around those. So obviously the one you mentioned where they just want to get that re-entry procedure done and they're waiting. And the CO2 filter before, two pivotal moments. But I think they've done really well. Absolutely. And I have some trivia to throw in here for a few Go for it. you mentioned. So the CO2 thing did happen. And it there is, um, you know what actually is really cool? They have video camera. So um, like we see in the movie, how they filmed a little show for the people mm-hmm. that didn't see it. They had a video camera on them. So they actually like filmed a lot of their time up there. Um and they showed a video of them making this this contraption that was uh, built and given directions to. But the the trivia behind that is is that they had taken something like that into account um, in a in a similar situation, but a little bit different. So the cool thing about the space program is that this isn't just this isn't like a fly by your seat kind of <laughs> thing, right? This isn't like an organization where they just like don't consider take things into consideration everything is taken into consideration everything is is practiced or done or they come up with all kinds of problems in in the movie you hear um when jack is when they first get him into the simulator and he's trying to park the command module with the with the lamb how um he's in program 67 or 64 and then after he doesn't get it um jim's like oh yeah that we're in program 67 so these programs were these like written things they that were like scenarios that that get thrown at them so they will throw in like issues right in the middle of something and then the astronauts have to problem solve on how to fix this thing and if they can't mm-hmm. figure it out then they get the other people to, to figure it out because it could happen and you never know right so the yeah. whole two thing was they they had the they had built the filter before or they had to do something like that for i think it was the apollo 8 and they were like do you remember the when we did this or whatever and the, the guys were like oh i kind of remember that okay like we need you guys to do this again so they <laughs> Instructions on what to do and then they put the filter together but it was the square peg round hole thing which and the line that uh ed harris has was um uh, i think it was what was it this is must be a government operation or something yeah. like <laughs> it's just so funny because it's so true right and, and i can't remember which which air which spacecraft was but one one of them for the filters they had 
uh, a round scrubber and the other one they had a square one and, and then he's like yeah this must be a government operation <laughs> hilarious um so that that part of the story is 100 percent true they did have to do that um you can see the actual thing that they built looks very similar to the one you see in the movie um and blanche who is uh jim lovell's mother in the movie uh is played by ron howard's mom his mom, yeah, I know how sweet is his mom. She's so sweet. So it is a Howard family affair in this it's movie. A Howard so fest. We see, we see. Um, her. So Blanche is played by uh, Jean Spiegel Howard. Uh, there is a priest in the movie that you see closer to the end at the Lovell's house who sits next to to Marilyn and you know is like comforting them and stuff. That is Ron Howard's father. His brother Clint Howard is also in the movie, and yeah. he is uh, the guy with the glasses and uh, who, with the thick-rimmed black glasses, who recommends closing the um, fuel tanks. That oh, is Clint Howard. Ron Howard's brother, and he makes kind of appearances in some of all of Ron Howard's movies. Yeah, not he does a lot of them, um, and then. His wife Cheryl is one of the onlookers at the launch, and yeah, so that's, there like too. Many, so that's one, two, three, four of his relatives are in this movie. <laughs> and Bryce Dallas is there as well. She's one of the kids at the launch. Oh, is she? Yeah, okay, there ain't so no party you know, like a Howard party because they're all there. Okay, so they're there, and um. So yeah, uh, there's some more trivia we'll get to at the end. But so there's that, and then what else did I mention? I want to mention about the family, and I wanted to mention about the CO2 thing. And I think that's it for now. I still have more, but we can, we'll get there. Um, yeah. So I just I thought that was so funny that his like basically his entire family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ron, he's such a nice guy, isn't he? Get get the old get the Howard fam. Every time Ron has a film, I bet the rest of the family are like right. Let's not do anything this weekend because we may end up being in a Hollywood film again. But it is well written. Right. It's a well written film, and like the technical technical aspects of it, working alongside NASA and astronauts to get the the jargon correct to some of the subtle humor in it. To things like Fred saying. I could eat the arse out of a dead rhinoceros. Poetic, Fred. Well said. Do you know what I mean? And and the way that Tom Hanks looks at him, because I I heard that the line was um, not ad libbed necessarily, but it was he come up with the line himself. (coughs) Excuse me. No, it was actually so. Fred Hayes never said that, but the person who actually came and was Jake Busey. That's it, Jake Busey. He came to the set one day and he said, "Why don't you say this?" And they thought it was just like so funny and so. He just, yeah, put it in the movie. I'd love <laughs> to know if Tom Hanks knew it was coming because the way he looks at him, he's like, What the fuck? Hey, he's yeah. <laughs> great. I noticed that yesterday because I'd heard that. I couldn't remember the story, but thank you for it. Me, it's Jake, uh, Jake Busey. And yeah, when I, if you look at Tom Hanks' face and name, and he's like, Hey, it's, just, yeah. it's, it's such a well written film. And um, I mean, I've got, I mean, I, I like you, I've got so many things I love about the film, and I think I've mentioned almost all of them. Apart from a few trivia bits, but did um, was there, other than obviously like the the finale, like the everything that transpires to get them home, was there anything else before like the final act of the film you wanted to mention? Um, no, not that I can think of. 
Well, should we uh, should we talk about yeah. the end of Apollo 13 then? So when yeah. pretty much from when they jettisoned the module, which was half missing, and then they found out that the heat shield, heat shield are damaged. They're like, Jesus Christ, what else could go wrong? And then there's a typhoon which might get in the way. What did you think about like the ending then? Again, it's a real it's a real thing, but like a real, a real incident event. But how did you think they handled all of that in the film? Um, I loved it because there's a lot of the technical stuff that, that that is real that you don't know about space flight that they have to take into all this stuff into consideration. So we learn at the end of the movie that they are shallowing quite a bit because yep. they were expected to have um, a couple hundred pounds of moon rocks. And so they had to transfer <laughs> ballast from one part of, from the command module over into, or sorry, from the lunar module into the command module. And, um, <clears throat> It, it, like it's just funny you know like these are things these are like scientific things like you can't that they they have accounted for that you have like i don't know it that it can play a huge role mm-hmm. in whether or not you make it back home or not right ballast you know freaking moon rocks moon like rocks. This is the kind of stuff right so I, I thought that was really interesting um and uh, then the whole thing about the heat shield, and obviously, as we know, uh, t- when you enter the Earth's atmosphere, you heat up. I don't know the science behind it. That's what happens anyway. And um, <laughs> yeah, and so basically, um, it turns into like a, a fireball. It's so, like when a meteor comes um, into the Earth. That's why you see them flying, and it looks like fireballs that are flying. Um, that this is what happens when when a ship re-enters the earth and it's just it is always so wild to me like every time I see this or just think about it I'm like it's just so wild that even even like that is how they have figured out space travel at the time but even now it's the same thing right so like Mm -hmm. you you know you get sent off into this rocket (laughs) that goes so fast like what was he say to his kid uh Jim says you know fast as a, a bullet from a gun like you're, it's going so fast and then they finally get out of the atmosphere and into space and then basically they lose like 90% yeah. of the ship goes just floats off or you know whatever <laughs> and then they come home in this little capsule <laughs> that turns into a fireball that comes into the atmosphere and lands in the ocean it's like a Russian doll isn't it I'm in a helicopter to come pick them up. It's totally wild. Like, it's absurd, really, when you think about it. But that's how, that's, like, the best way they could figure it out, how to do it. And it works. Because of the world space, and it, and it works. But it's really, really risky. Especially you know, when it's like, made out of, like, tinfoil. Like, yeah, that you have these people in this, like, tinfoil can, yes. and then they, <laughs> they have to, like, come back into the atmosphere in a fireball. Then they land in the ocean. It's just so wild. And I, I put really I put roast chicken under tin foil sometimes. So is that what happens? Is it similar to that? <laughs> it just disintegrates. <laughs> so they have a heat shield that's supposed to, it protects the astronauts from burning up, yep. basically. And um, they were wondering if it was damaged in the thing. And then the other problem was uh, they were worried the parachutes weren't going to open. Yeah. All these, so they had just gotten through this this perilous, strenuous journey of getting around the moon and coming back, and they finally they're like, you can see the Earth, they're right above it, and there's all these problems, and all they can do is just 
deal with it, right? All they yeah. could do is just hope for the best. Fingers crossed and pray uh, that they don't just all these things, right? Yeah. So you know, it, it's space travel, space exploration has come like a long way, but we still get put into space in rockets. And all these parts come off like these is like millions and millions and millions of dollars to build these rockets just for the these are just for the lift off. Like they're not used for anything else. It's and then they leave. You know, um, and then the, you still come back the same way. So we still actually haven't figured out a, a different way. This is the best way. This is which is the way. really it's incredible to me. Yeah. Um, it would have been really crap if the uh, upon reentry they they landed and smashed into the USS Iwo Jima. That would have been a bit of a crap ending, wouldn't it? But um, God damn it! After all that, we crash into the into the massive battleship. Um, yeah, I I um I agree. How they the, like the, the the marvel of actually just getting this thing off the ground is outrageous, and then having to dock in space and the physics of slingshotting around the moon and just getting home and. Uh, getting through the atmosphere of the earth and predicting or not predicting but knowing what the temperature is and how to how to build something that can withstand that is is crazy i mean i've seen in the natural history museum in london like some of the um modules that they use for re-entry and they are literally just like they're very very small they are literally aluminium tin foil is is mental um i love the scene before and even before that because i had to jettison the aquarius and there's a nice poignant moment when they do actually jettison that and Jack's flying the ship. Um, Jim Love was like, sorry, force of habit. You're, you're in charge. You're, you're piling us home, Jack. And it's a lovely moment. And then they're, but they also watch the Aquarius drift into space and they're, they're saying goodbye to this ship that kept them alive or to this lunar module capsule that, that saved them even though it was falling yeah. apart. And it was like, kind of like, you know, Which we did mention that the lunar module is actually meant to stay on the moon yeah that is not uh that is not a vehicle that is meant to travel through space like they did with it no you're right so yeah. it, they were doing something that was uh hadn't been done before and it was a little risky and the the builders of this lunar module were worried that the engine wasn't going to work the way they wanted it to, the way it needed to work for them yeah but it was a risk that they had to take because it was the only thing that they had because they couldn't risk letting uh, they couldn't risk turning the engines on on the uh, uh, on the um, thing that was damaged. So um, so that was another thing the the fact that that lunar module had got them basically all the way almost all the way home before they had to before they let it go was, was really something. Yeah. Um, I agree. Poignant. And then obviously the re-entry is meant to take three minutes if the heat shield holds out. And the way that Ron Howard and uh, they use shots of Marilyn and the family and everyone, and obviously Jim Lovell's son, who's at, um, I think he's a military camp or something, but military university, but um, how that re-entry to take three minutes and everyone's waiting for it. And on the news, they're like, no no re-entry has ever taken longer than three minutes. And like three and a half minutes four minutes, four and a half minutes pass. And even though you know what happens as a true story, you're still thinking, oh, they didn't make it. After all that, they didn't make it. And of course you get right. the kind of glorious, hello, Houston, this is Odyssey. Good to see you again. And everyone's like, yeah. everyone just goes mad and erupts and the parachutes work and everything that has gone before has somehow come together to transpire to get them home. And I think how they worked that scene was great. It's really beautiful. I really, 
uh, find that uh, that scene really emotional mm-hmm. when the school mission control. Uh, when you see Gene Kranz or you know Ed Harris, like he's kind of crying, mm-hmm. he's very emotional about it. Um, that really that part really gets me because mm-hmm. you know after all of that hard work and all the stress and all the overnights and you know they they got their job done and and yeah it's such a huge feat um because well, he says i think this could be our finest hour doesn't he because um yeah. the guy's like the president wasn't out what's going on he's like this could be a disaster he and he's like this that's no no i think this could be nasa's finest hour like it's just a great great line yeah yeah um yeah no it's beautiful and then so we see them celebrating and then they um shake hands so we see them in the in the command module and they shake hands and um or the odyssey and then they say it's the odyssey you know we're signing off and then we get to watch them coming out of the being lifted into the helicopter and uh then the scene where they uh are aboard the Iwo Jima, the USS Iwo Jima, and then uh, there's Tom Hanks or Jim Love who's like talking over. He's and then he's talking about the what happened to all the astronauts after. So there is a cameo yeah. by Jim Love himself, who plays like the captain who shakes Jim's hand, and he's like, you can tell he's like saying something to him. We just don't get to hear it, but uh, that is Jim Lovell. That's awesome, isn't that it? Was kind of cool. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, and, and then the last line there. Uh, some days I like wonder when we will go back and who will that be? That whole line is just the whole the whole yeah. speech is just awesome. Like he's the way he's you know, I sometimes catch myself looking up at the moon, remembering the changes of fortune in our yeah. long voyage. Long voyage, thinking of the thousands of people who work to bring the three of us home. I look up at the moon and yeah. wonder, when will we be going back and who will that be? And that line takes on some extra significance when you realise that since then there's been some pretty nasty disasters, like the Challenger shuttle disaster, of course, and the Columbia yeah. disaster in, uh, what, 17 years ago. So, you know, there's still been some horrific, horrible, horrible, horrible incidents. But in the moment, with James Horner's score... And the elation of everything that's just happened in their home, and it's it's a beautiful, beautiful final line as well. And then obviously we find out what happened to everyone in real life, and that was a nice way to end off as well. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's lovely. Like I just like you could see why someone would like this movie. It's just you know these are real people mm-hmm. that uh, doing this incredible thing and. And even though there's a couple mentions of uh, Columbus in this movie, who I'm, you know, I have my thoughts on, um, he says something like, they ask him at the beginning of the movie when he's doing that tour of the, of the um, building. Oh, and that's another thing I wanted to mention that the, um, they call it a crawler. So when that spacecraft is on the crawler, they bring it from the, from the building where they do the maintenance of it or they build Mm it. And then they move it to the launch pad. That was like a real crawler. Nice. Like it was a thing that was there. And so that was super cool. Um, makes it even more legit. That you know, And that's the other thing, like transferring this rocket on this like huge, it's just crazy, <laughs> crazy to me. But anyways, Jim Lovell's doing this tour with the people and uh, 
he someone asks him like oh you know we've already been to the moon like why do we need to go back mm-hmm. again and he's like imagine if christopher columbus uh, you know went to the new world but like no one came back in his footsteps or something yeah. like that you know and that's, it's, it's so true and that guy who asks him those questions is somebody special too i can't remember who he was though I like the fact I they just dotted these people in and in, in and out of the film, and I think what you just said, Dale, is also pertinent. Is that you know this? How how can you not like this film? Almost there's so much to like about this film, not just the the cast and the acting and the the Hollywood story, but the real life story, the cameos, the authenticity, the love that went into this film. There's there's so much to like about this film, and we've even said it. So I'm, I'm not even going to bother with a the part. There's nothing you didn't like about the film, or you thought you didn't nothing you didn't think was up to a certain standard. And there's nothing I could think of which I didn't like about the film. You know, what I mean, I, I I really enjoy pretty much every aspect. There's not one moment which I look at and think, yeah. I genuinely think all of it for a two-hour, twenty-minute-long film is so very good. It's consistently really, really good. And I mean, there was a, a few facts and trivia. John Travolta was nearly was offered the role as Jim Lovell, but turned it down. This would have been after Pulp Fiction, but before Get Shorty. So kind of during Travolta's um, renaissance, before we went into pap films again uh, and Kevin Costner was yeah. Jim Lovell's choice to play um, himself but Kevin yeah. Costner's stock had gone down like yeah he'd gone down somewhat by then and there's a sweet scene at the beginning a cool scene where Jim Lovell's at the lights traffic lights in his car car pulls up next to him and he's like yeah you're Jim Lovell man and um, and then they the shot from behind of them pulling away and Jim Lovell stalls at the lights I thought that scene was very American graffiti like uh, Ron Howard paying right. tribute to a piece I like the film, the last film he acted in, but I thought it was his tribute to American graffiti. And that's what I noticed every day. And I thought, do you know what? That's bloody awesome. Yeah, no, that was really cool. Yeah. I remember that. He's like so excited. Like Jim Lovell, right? Yeah. I mean, I get that all the time when I'm driving through Essex, but you know, it's fine. We deal, we deal with it. <laughs> and then after that happens, the light turns green, he goes and then his car. Yeah. Like, that's the second time that's happened. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So again, nice little scene which has nothing. There's no impact on the film, but it's fun. It's good. It's just levity, and it's great. Um, so was there was there any other scenes or moments that you wanted to touch upon before we move on? Yeah, I was just thinking about what you said earlier about um, about uh, Marilyn Lovell not wanting to go to the launch, mm. and that she said, you know, because the school have the kids have like busy schedules and stuff like that. But really, that was actually just about her, I think, um, not wanting to put herself through that. And she kind of she kind of mentions it, like how the other wives have not been to like three launches, you know, it's really must be really tough watching your husband, you know, leave the earth. Yeah. (laughs) To go to space. (laughs) It's really risky. You may never see him again. yeah, and just having to like endure that, and you know, she had already been to a bunch of different launches where he had gone, and it's stressful, right? And so she was, she and she had that dream, and I think she was just like not feeling it. So you kind of you really feel for her. Um, you know, you have to kind of put yourself in her shoes of what that must be like for her as you know someone who has to like watch everything happen and you know she has to take care of the kids and mm-hmm. all that stuff so I, I i liked how kathleen quinlan uh portrayed 
Marilyn Lovell in that. I, I mean, I don't. I haven't really read of Marilyn. I haven't seen any complaints. I've seen some quotes from Marilyn Lovell, but she, I, she didn't say anything about how she that she didn't like the way she was portrayed or anything like that. So, yeah, I just wanted to. I was just thinking about that. No, if the if the the real life person, the real actual human, hasn't got any issues, then I suppose you can just take that as a as a win. But I thought, yeah, I thought Catherine Quinn, Quinn was very good with a task which like you said would be earlier could have been a thankless task where a lot of the films she's just sitting in a room listening to a radio uh so that could have been you know had had she not pulled it off well it could have been a bit uh, melodramatic but i think she's great and she fully deserved her oscar nom as did ed harris i think ed harris was excellent in this film and he's so good. again all the cast were great i thought james horner's score was excellent as well there's does yeah. mean so in terms of like the overall? And we mentioned cinematographer Dean Cundey, production design, costume design, everything here is excellent. I think Ron Howard did a very good job of directing. A film. I, I think I can imagine it must be quite hard to direct a true life story because people go in or like Titanic, people go in knowing what's going to happen. So it's how you get for, to that point. And I think Ron Howard did a good job. Yeah, and especially when the people like when you're directing a story. Of, uh, where people that were involved are like still alive. Yeah. Also, getting that authenticity of like the whole space program, like like you said earlier, like the the jargon and all that stuff, and just how it looked and how people acted and stuff like that. Like the, to get all of that accurate is mm-hmm. super important for it to be believable to the rest of us. Yeah. And and but most importantly, like his thing was that that astronauts watched this movie and felt like this was real. Like there was a couple comments I read about they particularly liked the um the launch. They really loved like the whole sequence of how it looks on the outside because they're on the inside, the astronauts, right? So they don't get to, they have the video of like the real and they just thought that it was like super well done mm-hmm. and i think probably even mentioned like the space stuff really looked like that they were really in space because like that's apparently how it looks you know and um yeah just yeah and the, and the costumes help like i can't remember i was watching i think i was watching actors on actors or was it called actors on actors where they have conversations with each other something like that yeah variety series or whatever so mm-hmm. i can't remember which two actors I was watching, but they were talking about how costume design is super, super important for a lot of actors to do their job mm-hmm. properly. Yeah. You know? And if they're dressed for the part that they're playing, like they, they feel like they can do their job so much better. And I really felt like the accuracy of like how everyone was dressed and stuff during that time was probably helped everybody get to character so much better. You know, and the fact that they built that replica, um, that replica of mission control, you know, to make it look just like it looked back then to give that feel like you're actually there and actually doing something is mm-hmm. you know, played a huge part in that movie coming to life um, and making it making it as good as it was. So well done on his part, on all of their parts and doing that for me and Laura. Well done, pat yourselves on the back, but you're spot on like practical effects CGI, having an actual set and having the weightlessness rather than harnesses, it adds to the performance and you can tell it the, the 
the practical side of it really, really helps out. And everybody came together like they did in real life. So it's not quite art imitating real life because real life was ahead of a lot more tense, of course. But it, the way that they managed to convey that sense of panic, anxiety, but also like the steady and calm of Ed Harris when he finally breaks down at the end, Gene Krantz, you know, yeah. that, that it's finally off his shoulders. So how it was all put together was excellent. How everyone came together in that was 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 fantastic and I'm glad it got so many nominations at the Oscars and I know the Oscars means different things to different people however it's validating to know that those in the know apparently put it forth for so many including best picture so that um so yeah yeah got a lot of love from us and a lot of love from the audience so um well that's me that's that's everything I've got for the film do you have anything last comments on that no I have I have said my piece the queen of Canada has spoken it will forever. That's it. She has spoken. Well, we asked you guys on out there in the social verse, what did you guys think of Apollo 13? 88.5% of you gave it a thumbs up. And 115 gave it a thumbs down. And uh, for people who didn't like the film, when I say this in every episode of Retrospectives, not to call people out or not to tell you you're wrong or not to tell you that I'm a better fan than you for liking something. God forbid. But for those who didn't like this film, and um, why why is that? We'd love to know why. What was it about it particularly you didn't like? Was it too melodramatic? Was it boring? Be interested to know what what you guys thought. But a couple of comments. Um, a space bloggersy. What a great name. She said this is a movie <laughs> I can watch over and over again. Uh, my buddy's over at Superhero Pole Plus. Double thumbs up. Excellent. Jacob Flaz says we're a fan. I still am a fan. And the excellently titled Clone Wars season seven said i love it and finally the the northern hunk the beefcake ant shot first good buddy said mate <laughs> one of my top 10 of all time watched it twice in a day a couple of weeks ago it's an incredible feel-good film so um a lot of people seem to be on the same wavelength as you and i laura so just just on those comments uh that must be good to hear that's awesome no i <laughs> I don't want to say that I've been embarrassed that this is always my favorite movie, but um, it, it just doesn't usually in groups of friends or whatever. It's just that this isn't a movie that ever like comes up mm-hmm. to people's minds when I, when we talk about movies and stuff. So, you know, when I say, Oh, I like Paul 13, they're like, Oh, and they don't say anything bad. They, I think it's just like not something that they consider to be in like their top anything. Right. So yeah. Um, it's just always been there for me and it's never come off my list. Like it'll, it'll never come off my list. Like <laughs> it'll always be there. So uh, yeah. And that's fine. I don't mind. We all have different opinions. I, I can understand why people, some people might not be interested in space. They might not be interested in like American feel good stories. They might yeah. think that this, some of this movie is boring because there's some like slower parts to it, et cetera. So like totally, I totally understand, like, you know, why some people might not like the movie, and that's, you know, it's subjective, and that's totally fine, but uh, I I love it, so I'm yeah. open to conversations anytime. And Laura can talk a good talk, and, uh, yeah, she <laughs> thinks it's bloody good, so change her mind. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. Excellent, excellent film. 96% Rotten Tomatoes, very, very respectable 77 on Metacritic, so... It seems like the majority of people do enjoy this film. So uh, with that, that kind of wraps up this episode of uh, the Back Row Retrospectives and our Apollo 13 episode. So Laura, the voice of movie astrology, 
the tones you hear on the historical movie show we do. Thank you so much for coming on and giving your time to talk to Apollo 13. Thank you, Matt, so much for having me as usual. I, I'm always bewildered that Matt keeps inviting me back to his show. <laughs> I really appreciate it very much. It's always a good time. No, I was happy to have you back on, my friend. Uh, if the world has just heard you and wants to follow you anywhere on an island, they don't, you should. Uh, whereabouts can they uh, find you online? You could find me on my lowly uh, Twitter account, which is wannabeme11. That's W-A-N-N-A-B-E-E-M-E-1-1 on Twitter. And that's it. <laughs> Allow. Yeah, yeah, that's all you can find out. Yeah, let's go yeah. on there for some from smouldering hot takes and some Star Wars stalking as well. Uh, for me, what I watch tonight, Code at UK. Uh, what I watch tonight, Twitter and Instagram. We're on Facebook as well. We don't release it too much, but we're on there. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. If you like what you've just heard, please do let your buddies know that there's a movie show out there which just talks about bloody good films, basically. And if you really like it, and if you've got a spare thirty seconds do consider leaving us a good review on your podcast provider of choice. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Just do that for <laughs> me. Uh, but yeah, and again, thank you once again, Laura. Hope you everyone's enjoyed listening to the insight that Laura's given for Apollo 13. Do go follow her and check her out or just talk to her about film because she knows her stuff. From me though, guys, thank you so much for listening. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>